How to be an artist. Step 11. The Invisible Arts. With guest, Sam Lotfi. Um, so Sam, like, thanks so much for doing this with me. This is kind of a new experiment of mine, and I'm, I'm still kind of figuring out the ropes of how to do this. So I appreciate you, like, taking a little bit of a chance and, and uh, talking a little bit about art with me. Oh, absolutely. So, My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, you know, we talked... Uh, I kind of want to go through and, and kind of hear about your path to where you are now as an artist. But um, just as we were just chatting before we started recording, you mentioned um, that you were kind of a little bit of a theater geek when you were in high school. So I'm kind of interested in, in, in your interest. I mean, those things always overlap. I mean, a lot of artists, it's like, yeah, I was into this. I was into this music or, you know, whatever. So, uh, yeah. What, what, how did you end up getting into theater and then how did you end up... Uh, you know, kind of making this, this switch over to, I think it was animation was kind of where you originally were, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I started, it's, it's a long story. Uh, I started in comics, went over into animation video games and came back to comics. But yeah, when I was in oh, okay, school, okay. Uh, like in uh, senior year of high school and like uh, a little bit in college, I did some theater stuff. Um, with with the, the, the beginnings of the theater stuff, like I, I've always been a fan of like, you know, uh, the theater, you know, in general, you know, everything from plays and, you know, musicals and things like that. But uh, my senior year of high school, I had basically like caught up with all my credits and they uh. gave me one of two options. They're like, either you can go home early, which I don't know why I didn't take that choice at the time. <laughs> <laughs> or, or you can, if you're going to stick around school, you got to take some more classes. So I was like, you know what, this is my senior year. You know, I'm never going to go back to high school again. You know, why don't I just yeah. try some classes I've never, never done before. Uh, and so I, was, so I took theater and I think like my, within like my first year, they, they enrolled me in like theater, like the beginner theater, like 101 and I'm kind of a ham naturally. Uh, so <laughs> I was in there, I was a senior in there with a bunch of freshmen and like within like the first week, my, my theater teacher was like, yeah, I'm putting you with the C, senior theater class. Cause you're, you're, you, you know, you naturally you have okay. a little more of an inclination for this than the, than the other kids do. So I was like, okay, that sounds good. So by the, you know, within a couple of weeks, I was already doing plays with the, with the seniors, with the other seniors in, you know, in theater and doing competitions and things like that, uh, which is a lot of fun. I learned a lot, uh, which I was able to bring into uh, my animation performances once I, when I started doing character animation and things like that. Uh, and I still yeah. try to bring that into when I'm doing any kind of storytelling with char- character-driven storytelling in comics. I, I try to, uh, you know, I, I can recall a lot of those theater acting techniques. And I'm like, okay, how would the character feel in this moment? Things like that. Yeah, you know, I did I did a little bit of theater in high school too. Just kind of dabbled in a little bit in college, and never never took it. Uh, I mean, I I wouldn't say I never took it seriously because when I took the classes, I was I was very focused on what I was doing. But man, there's something just really powerful about theater, kind of like embodying a performance. And um, there's obviously there's kind of these. I don't. Uh, I mean, you can kind of speak to where your mind was and what appealed to you. I kind of really loved loved kind of the the intimacy and kind of the way you could kind of share with someone in a way without necessarily having to do like therapy and talk about your actual issues, you know? <laughs> sure, yeah. I mean, definitely, definitely. I mean, I was it, I was I was new to it, so it was it was just this whole new world to me that I was when I first started, you know, getting on stage and learning my lines and learning, you know, blocking and staging and all this other stuff. It's like so it was it was very technical at first for me, but then after a while. Um, I was like, Oh wait, I get it now. Like I, I can, I can, it wasn't until I stopped doing it that I looked back on it in hindsight that I was like, Oh, I see what I was doing wrong or what I was missing from it is, you know, the, you have to just re- repeat all the technical stuff so much so that it becomes ingrained and becomes natural 
So then, you know, you know your lines backwards and forwards, and you can just focus on the performance and what the moment is about, you know? Um, yeah. And so that's the thing I felt like I was missing at the time when I was learning it. And, you know, it's, it's, that's to be expected when you're new. Um, but now I try to like take that and apply it to whatever I'm doing, whether it's animation or, or comics. And mostly, mostly these days I'm doing a lot of comics work. So, uh, it's helpful. Is, there. is the, is the idea there kind of that you have the mastery and you have the skill so that you can really just focus on like expression when you get into, to do exactly, work. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I don't think, I don't think the nice thing about it is it taught me how to get into a character's head. Um, uh-huh. like now, uh, like, uh, I know I'm jumping all over the place here, but uh, like That's right okay. now I'm, I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I'm writing, I'm, I'm writing, uh, and developing a, uh, an original graphic novel that, that I'm going to be writing and illustrating eventually. Um, yeah. Is this the one that you t- you tell me about at, at Staple? Yes. Yeah. That's the one. It's, okay, it's awesome. the, uh, it's the science fiction, fantasy, action, adventure, kind of coming of age adventure story. Um, yeah, really cool stuff. Thanks. And so it's, uh, as I'm developing the characters and getting to learn them more, it's, it's helpful to have those theater tools or theater exercises to just kind of mm-hmm. be like, okay, and let me get in the character's head. Like if I'm putting on the character's shoes, you know, where is this character coming from? What are his motivations? You know, all, all those traditional classic, you know, fundamental things that you ask uh, about your character as you're developing, building a character, things like that. So yeah. uh, it's definitely helpful there because you can, it, as opposed to like coming to it from like an outside perspective where it's, all, you know, you're looking at it from as, as the creator, it's mm-hmm. nice to be able to have those tools to just be like, okay, well, now I can actually step into the character's shoes and develop the character that way from the inside yeah. as opposed to the outside. Yeah. yeah. You know, I think, I think that's my, my instinct usually is like, oh, I'm, I'm writing this as if I'm God you know, that I'm yeah, writing something and it's my, van- I have this, it's this outside vantage point, you know? Um, but this is something I have a, one of my friends, uh, Cole that I did a, a chat with. He's, he's very much under that as well. That like getting into the perspective of the character. Um, mm-hmm. and I think that's something that I miss a lot and, and kind of, but I mean, a lot of the core of this, that's where the core of the story is. It really is the point of view of, of the character, right? Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's, it's almost kind of like, uh, uh, a hybrid version of like method acting where it's like, it's like, okay, I'm going to get into this character's shoes. Okay. This, you know, uh, I don't live in a world where there are, uh, you know, uh, dimen- you know, interdimensional travel stuff going on. But you know what, uh, if I was thrown, you know, how can I relate to that? Okay. Well, have I ever been in, have I ever traveled to a different country or have I ever been yeah. into a different place that I knew nothing about and was thrown in there unexpectedly? Yeah. I've had a situation like that. Okay. Well, how did I, how did I feel when I was in that moment? Oh, okay. I'm starting to understand what this guy would feel if he was in that situation now. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah, for sure. Do you ever find like surprises as you're doing that too? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Cause you, you, yeah. you, you kind of come along these little gems, you know, these little accidents, you know, happy accidents along the way. You're like, you start to kind of see how, where, where the patterns kind of start to connect, you know, the dots connect, you know, with one character or another. And the one thing I'm learning more and more as I'm writing is, um, is my tendencies to have this, you know, the, the protagonist is t- starts out as this loner character. And so I'm learning that the quicker I'm able to get him to with, well, the quicker I'm able to get him involved in a relationship with the other characters in the cast of the story, the the more entertaining and appealing it is for the reader. Because otherwise, it would just huh. sense that this, watch this guy go through, go through all the stuff by himself. And you're like, okay, uh, 
he's not emoting. He's not, I don't get what he's feeling or anything. <laughs> and it's, yeah. and it's being able to bounce those thoughts and feelings off of other people and, and the relationships we have with them that kind of helps communicate how we're feeling and what we think. It's kind of within that interaction within the relationship is, is when you see, get to see the character. Exactly. Which is yeah. why you typically see, you know, in a lot of like Disney movies or, you know, cartoons for kids, you always see anytime there's a character by themselves, they always have like a cute little friend, animal friend next to them. I was going to say that. To. I was going to mention that. Yeah. <laughs> you always need like an animal sidekick, right? <laughs> exactly. So that They're way always, they can kind of, great. you know, speak their thoughts and, you know, and their feelings yeah. uh, instead of just talking to themselves. They're also great for when your hero is like trapped and tied up and they can come and like chew the ropes, you know? Sure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's always handy <laughs> yeah yeah that's really cool i feel like uh it's it's so interesting when you think about character it's something i'm still like learning about but really i have these these insights all the time when i'll be thinking about a character and thinks that a point of view and it's suddenly like i realize what the story is actually about yeah. i'm like oh it's actually about this it's about you know this person wanting to be liked or whatever it is you know or trying to redeem that some sort of mistake they did you know and right um, yeah, so that could be like very exciting, you know? Absolutely. And that's, honestly, I'm in the middle of that right now because I'm, I'm writing the, I'm, I'm about in the middle of the first draft of this particular graphic novel. Uh, and yeah. so it's not until after you've written, uh, that first draft and got it done and you can look back on the mess that you've created and be like, okay, what does this all mean? <laughs> and then, you know, the second draft, you know, ideally is where you start fixing it and be like, okay, now I'm going to make it look like I knew what I was talking about from the get go. <laughs> so is, is this your first then like, uh, like written and illustrated, uh, like, um, project they're going to be pitching? The, yeah. Well, yes. Yeah, so the first one I'm going to be pitching, it's the, I've actually written and, and drawn a, when I first started out in comics, it was, this was in San Antonio, um, like the early aughts, 2001, 2002. I did uh-huh. a, uh, like a two issue little mini series. It's a really mini series, um, uh, called red uh, over at Antarctic press, uh, based out of San, huh. San Antonio, Texas. And, uh, that was like the first time I actually wrote and drew something on my own. It was completely creator owned and I loved it. Uh, but, uh, from then on, like I got the animation bug at a, you know, really early yeah. on. And so I went into animation and video game stuff and storyboarding, character design, things like that. And then once, and eventually it got to the point where it's like, it, it was a lot of fun to do those other projects and work in, work in those other mediums, but I was missing something. I was missing that, that self-expression or that, that, uh, you know, I wanted to get my own thoughts and ideas and, uh, into a particular project. And, you know, it's great working with a team of people, but if it's not your show and it's not your project, then you just kind of have to just play ball and uh, make do the best you can <laughs> with that. Uh, so that's why I kind of came back to comics. Cause I was like, I, I really wanted to have that, that uh, expressive voice. So this is the first one in a while that I'm actually, I've been developing it for a while, kind of on the back burner, but not now I'm getting the pitch together and writing in the middle of writing the first draft of the whole, I'm writing the entire graphic novel first before I draw a single thing. Cause it just, it's easier to fix a, a written page than it is a drawn page. Sure. <laughs> yep. I know that from experience, yep. um, but you know, you do have the, you do have the freedom and the dangerous responsibility to edit things on, on the page too. So that's, that's what oh, really slowed me down is like, Oh, actually I wrote this, but I think I'm actually going to do that. Well, you know, once I start, to, <laughs> start drawing, I'll just change everything. Yeah, like you double know. page spread of a giant arm, two giant armies <laughs> co- clashing in the yeah. middle. What was I thinking? <laughs> I gotta draw this. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I think uh, one thing you're kind of highlighting that I think is really interesting for people that are looking at their careers and what their careers might look like is uh-huh. I feel like every artist kind of has to go through some different phases. Sure. Like obviously there's like there's like training. There is there is a phase of like, hey, being part of a team, being playing a support role and then yeah. like maturing as an artist and being like, OK, I've got to, I, you know, I feel like I have the skills now to express well the things that I want to express. Yeah, you know? yeah. and I feel um, like animation was. I learned a. I learned a lot that I use from animation, but it. It was also, and maybe it's just my own fault, just for having such a romanticized view of it. But like, it was also kind of misleading because you know you grow up watching all these Disney classic movies and you watch the behind the scenes features of like, Glenn Keane and James Baxter and all these <laughs> other amazing animators talking about what they were doing with the characters. Well, what, what you don't realize is you have an, an army of people. They have their own team oh, yeah. of people oh, yeah. who are basically like essentially doing all the in-betweens of all the all the key all poses the clean up. yeah clean up animation color everything and so uh you realize oh the job that i'm wanting is you know the glenn king job or the you know james baxter job where you actually get to decide what the character does everybody else has got to play ball with what glenn decides yeah. and you don't yeah. realize that you know when you're a kid watching all that stuff you don't you don't think about that and then you get into animation and you realize oh this isn't as self-expressive as i thought it was going to be Okay, no. this is more like, uh, and not to not to belittle animation, but it, it really feels more like factory work. You know, you get you get something from somebody that does something before you. You do your part and you pass it along to the next person. Do their piece, their piece, and you move on. And um, and that's fun. That can definitely be fun in its own way because it's definitely creative. Because you end up with something that not that no one person would have created on their own. So it's really cool that way. Um, but if you're if you're really wanting to kind of have a voice and say something personal or expressive then I feel like uh, unless you're actually heading up that animation project, it's hard to do that in there. So that's why comics and comics honestly was like my very first medium that I fell in love with when I was a kid. Uh, so I just came back to that and, and I'm not, uh, you know, there's no looking back since, you know, since then. So I love it. Oh, good. Yeah. I, I feel like with, with animation, it's like, even if you do want to like take the bull by the horns and be like, I'm making my own thing. Yeah. Like, there's a cost to that. Like animation oh, is just costly. It's a ton yeah. of work. It um, is. I'm kind of, and I'm kind of actually surprised like to hear you say that like, Oh, I started in comics and then I like moved over to animation. Like I understand I've done a little bit of animation. I understand it's, it, there's a lot of skills to learn there. I mean, it's mm-hmm. a very difficult, um, discipline to, to even kind of do moderately well, you know? So I like, how did you make that transition? Were you kind of in your, garage figuring out the skills before you were able to go and and somehow do it professionally you know yeah i'm i'm, I'm mostly self-taught so like yeah. when i finished high school uh, i mean I, I started i think i did like one or two years of college just doing going after like an art degree but then after while i was doing that i realized really quickly um because i was looking into everything that i wanted to get into everything from like doing comics professionally or to doing animation uh, professionally and all the uh, job requirements were just strictly focused on po- strong portfolios. And I was like, yeah. nobody cares about a degree here in this particular avenue. You know, uh, I mean, it's nice if you've got a degree, uh, but it's not going to necessarily get you the job if your portfolio is not up to snuff. You know, uh, so I just kind of made a you know, you can call it reckless or you can call it smart. I don't know what you want to think of it. I think it was a dumb choice, but at the same time, I, I don't regret it either. I just decided yeah. that, like, I'm just not going to do this whole college route thing. I'm just going to focus on uh, just building my portfolio as strong as I can get it and just kind of teach myself along the way. And I haven't looked back since. So I, I actually tracked down 
some of the animators and artists that I really looked up to. And whenever I was able to, if I was in a particular state that they lived in or, or if they had a studio there, I would try to visit their studio or try to talk to them. Even if I couldn't do it in person, then I would try to do it online and just try to get any, any kind of feedback and get on my portfolio. Just constantly, anytime I went to a comic convention, I would just track down all the big names and comics and I'd be like, here's my portfolio. Tell me what sucks. And so I can fix it. Yeah. You know, Boy, I'd really, I'd really love to see like some of your early work. That's one of my favorite things to see is to see artists work when it's early. Just go, just, yeah. just so like you can see that like, oh yeah, it's possible to go from like this point to to being a very skilled, you know. Yeah, I was a huge. Uh, I mean, at the time it was like early aughts, so like Joe Mad was like the big artist over at Marvel. Sure, yeah. Uh, and so I was a huge Joe Mad ape, just aping his stuff constantly, <laughs> and, and eventually not a bad style to ape. Yeah. Yeah, and, and then eventually, like, um, once I got into animation, that's what really broke me out of that is because, you know, when you're young, you're always searching, like, what, you know, what's my style? What's my style? You want to kind of have that identity really early on. And what you don't realize, and what you learn over time is that, you know, you're going to develop your own voice and your own style over time. Yeah. You know, it's, it's like it's like a natural, it's an organic process, right? Exactly, exactly. And it doesn't happen overnight. It takes, it takes, it can take years, you know, uh, yeah. sometimes, sometimes longer, sometimes shorter. It just depends on how much output, you know, what your output is. You know, if you're putting out a lot of work really quickly, you're going to develop that style faster. But if you're taking your mm-hmm. sweet time doing it, it's going to take a little longer. Um, it's almost kind of like getting to the point where, you know, the way you write your signature and your natural, you know, yeah. way you write your name, <laughs> that's what you're, that's what you're developing over time with your art as well. Um, so with the cool thing about animation was it forced me to do a lot of observational drawing and a lot of life drawing. Um, yeah. and so that quickly b- broke me out of copying somebody's style and really going for understanding like what is the fundamental structure of, you know, anatomy and, you know, whether it's from people to animals to objects to whatever. And then also like, not only am I understanding how to build and construct those shapes, but how do they, how do they move together in rhythm and in the balance, you know? Yeah. Uh, with animation honestly animation is like doing character animation is probably like the hardest thing I've ever done um, and comics definitely has just as challenging things about it as well but character animation especially if you're focusing on giving a performance an actual acting oh. acting performance um, like say it's maddening it, it, it's, it can be maddening but it's it's just it's, it's magical once you when you pull it off it's like a magic trick yeah and you're like ah oh, yeah. this is amazing and then, you know, you show it to everyone and everyone's amazed and they're like, wow, this is really great. Uh, and it, 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 flashes, it flashes by within like, you know, anywhere from six seconds to 20 seconds. And you're like, that was six months of my life. <laughs> yeah, I kind of call that the, the nuclear bomb quality yeah. of, of art. It's like same, same with like a comic book. You know, a nuclear bomb, it's, you have these scientists that work decades to figure out how to, how to create a nuclear bomb. Yeah. And it's like the effect is over in seconds, but it's a very powerful effect. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Comics and animation are the same thing. It's like you spend all this time and it's like, you get Mm -hmm. this explosive effect. It's like you read a comic and you're like, Whoa, like that's what it's for is for that one explosive moment. Exactly. You put all that effort and energy and time into it. And, and you know, the more, the more, uh, arts you start to look at, whether it's dance or music or, or acting or, you know, animation, comics, you know, what writing, whatever you want to look at it. They're all like that. They're, every single performance or thing is like that. It all, it all looks instantaneous and natural, but the time and, uh, it took to, to develop what you learn from it, the craft and everything that you put into a particular piece, it's always going to have that, that, you know, 
front-loaded time and effort and work and blood, sweat, and tears that you put into it just for that single instantaneous moment of boom, wow, that was cool. And it's and it's a very different question for us because it's for us it's not just about that moment, you know. Right. Like as an artist, you kind of have to embrace and really explore what's the process and how sure. do you feel about the process, you know. Um, is that really how yeah, you want I mean, to spend I'm, I'm your a, time? You know, uh, exactly. That's yeah. That's the other thing. Like, I think that's what kind of like, um, th- those are, those are the, like the two factors that kind of got me back into comics was the first one was having, being able to have a voice where I can actually express a personal story if I wanted to, or something that's in my voice, whether it's a short story, like a one page, literally just like a one page short story comic or uh, yeah. an epic graphic novel, you know, regardless, you know, and, and run that whole spectrum. I could do that in comics. And then the other part of it was like, you know, I can, I can pretty much do everything I need to do in comics myself. Now that doesn't necessarily mean I want to, but I could, if I want, you know, if I needed to. Um, but with animation, like you were saying earlier, like you, you can do it all yourself. It's just going to require so much of your time and work and effort to do everything by yourself. And even at the end of the day, you're not going to be realistically doing like feature, feature length stuff, you know? Um, yeah. And and I'm I'm and I'm sure there's probably feature length stuff out there that was all done by one person. Uh, you know, it's possible, but it's very very difficult and very very costly uh, if you're just doing them all by yourself. Because usually you need a small army of people to pull <laughs> pull these things off. Yeah, and you're also going in with the same risks of all art that like you're going to put this huge amount of time into creating something, and and what's the payoff going to be? And unless it's something feature, the chance of there being a payoff are like very, very slim for, for animation, yeah. you know, um, very it's true. not like you can be like, like Bill Plimpton nowadays and like do all the indie festivals and somehow like make some right. sort of, you know, living off of that. Yeah, man. Yeah. I love that guy stuff. Uh, speaking of <laughs> yeah. process, though, I'm a, I'm a huge process junkie. So yeah, if you, ha- if you have any questions about process stuff, I'm, I'm down. Oh yeah, sure. That's something we should, we should talk about. I'm kind of curious, but so back in the, in the early aughts when you're still learning stuff, like where did you kind of hang out online? Were you ever like hitting the drawing board? I did. I, I wasn't as, you know, honestly, DeviantArt is probably like the, the biggest place oh, I was really? hanging out on just posting stuff. Um, yeah, DeviantArt and I, you know, maybe a little on Pencil Jack, okay. but not a whole <laughs> lot on the drawing board or, or pencil. I mean, like, and I mean like when I say a little, I mean like barely, like maybe like couple of posts here and there once in a while but like DeviantArt was like the biggest thing and then from there we moved over to Blogspot and then from Blogspot I think eventually like I made my own website at some point and now now I'm over on these days I'm over on the Squarespace so you just go to samoffy.com and that'll keep you posted on what I'm up to yeah that's cool (laughs) yeah Yeah, it's just interesting like how the internet has evolved as far as like the the art culture over the years and how there are these very specific places and I remember there's another one do you remember Eat Poo do you ever like go to Eat Poo no, I don't. Ipu was like no. they were very, very that, focused. That, on, that one, I missed that one. No, it's, it's 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 not what you think, man. It's it was just the, the guy who ran it. The guy who ran it was kind of irreverent, but it was really just like digital art. People doing digital art, just some very, very high end, okay. like good digital artist. Um, That's cool. Yeah, but anyway, now it's all just con- collapsed into like it's social media and and people's websites. Yeah, like you don't have these like pretty much these little speakeasy corners of the internet where you can kind of go hang out with like kind of get in touch with like really high level artists like back in the, the early days. Yeah. So, yeah. Like what you, do you want to delve into some more process? Yeah, stuff? Let's talk about process. Why don't you tell me like, what's you tell me like, what's interesting with, uh, to you about process right now, kind of things you're exploring. Um, what, like for me, like, like I'm all, I'm always like 
like I, like I was saying earlier, like I'm a process junkie because I love to hear how other people work. Mm-hmm. Because obviously, you know, everybody has a different perspective on on creativity and how they approach a particular project or a given task. So I'm always open to like find you know uh, more interesting ways or sometimes even faster ways to get something done uh or just to you know just to have a different perspective on something but like for me like um what what really interests me and fascinates me is like how you go from you know say a written script of the story whether you wrote it yourself mm-hmm. or somebody else wrote it and you take that and you translate that from words to images and and that whole storytelling telling process that happens when you're doing your your layouts and, and for oh, sure. those that are not familiar with comics layouts by layouts, I mean essentially the storyboard panels on, on a page. Um, and that to me is like the magic like that. And, and they're always, they're never really any, and depending on the person, they're never really any very clean drawings or very pretty drawings for me personally. They're very, very crude rudimentary, you know, caveman, <laughs> caveman drawings that are just kind of yeah. put oh, down. Yeah. Um, and, and all I'm focusing on there is, translating what's in the script you know uh in, onto into a visual medium to where it's like okay not just am i working out okay let's say the script says for example okay there's you know um seven panels on this page and let's say there's a really important moment that happens in panel three or four right well if that's an important moment to the story or for that particular character like i really want to make that panel bigger than the rest of the panels because i yeah. want the audience to really yeah. no- notice that moment and if and if I'm going to make that bigger, then that means the other panels are going to get smaller. And if they get smaller, do they still are they still able to perform the function that they're able to do within that smaller space? If not, then then now I'm looking at okay, either I need to eliminate some panels and maybe combine a couple of things that are going on in some of these panels, or move it over to the next page. So you're almost kind of playing like this, you know, Tetris oh, yeah. puzzle piece kind oh, of yeah. game where you're like figuring out okay, how do I make how do I make all this stuff fit and work on a technical uh, uh, side of things? But then how do I get the most emotional impact out of it as well yeah. as, and, and make it so, so fluid that when the reader is reading it, that they don't get confused by the layout of the panels, that, that the page works as a whole of a, of, of a juxtaposition of a juxtaposition of images, but it also works as you go through each individual panel as well. Yeah, so that's that's the big challenge. And if you can't, and then the one thing I learned from, um, uh, it's gonna sound like I'm name dropping here, but <laughs> I learned from Klaus Jansen. Uh, this is when I was doing. This is when I was at the uh, DC Talent Development Program. This was a few years back. Okay. Uh, I was one of eight eight people to to do that program uh, that year. And so we were. They really focused on layouts and story storytelling there. And one of the things he told me was just like, look, if you can't, if the page doesn't work in the layout stage. It is not going to work no matter how beautiful oh, yeah. the drawings are on the finished stage. And I, I definitely carried that with me from then. Since then, I was just like, okay, that makes sense. That makes absolute sense. Because otherwise, you're just essentially, you know, polishing a turd, right? If you yeah. don't have a page that works. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm like a big, I'm work. a big believer in like the flow of a page. So I like, I definitely lean towards, yeah. I like simplicity and fluidity over super, even, even though I, I really love stuff like, like Sergio Topi or, um, yeah. You know, I'm trying to think of. There's other artists that spend a lot of time rendering stuff. Um, Bacalo, Chris, is it Bacalo or Bacalo? Yeah, he usually has really compressed pages and stuff yeah. like that. Especially in the early, like early late '90s, early 2000s, a lot of his stuff was really compressed, and to the point where like it was beautiful to look at. Yeah. But I was like, okay, like I would have to like retrace my steps a little bit on his on his panel orders. I'd be like, what's going on here? And it's like, sure. and and I don't ever. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying I'm not saying that. 
he did bad work or that he didn't do it right or anything. He knows what he's doing. Yeah. All I'm saying is like for me as a reader, I just remember my experience reading some of those early pages uh, from like the two th- early 2000s when he was doing stuff on uh, – it was the cliffhanger uh, uh, books that he had done. I, forget, I think it was called Steampunk okay. that he had, done, he had done. And it was a beautiful looking book. But like you start – he was getting really creative and experimental with the panel layouts. Yeah. And it got to the point where I would have to go back and reread some of the pages. And I just I just remember that reading experience not being as enjoyable as it could have been because the artwork is gorgeous. Uh, and so I just that, that always stayed with me where I'm like, okay, if I really want to make sure that my panel layouts are simple when they need to be simple. And if I do want to compress it and add a whole bunch of panels, I need to have a reason within the story to do that. Yeah. I need It needs to be a moment where there is a lot of tension in the moment, where there, you know, the the character feels maybe a little confused or something, then then I can maybe really cram that stuff in there and make the audience also feel that way. Do you have, have you ever looked at your kind of what your average panel per page is like on a, on a specific book? Yeah. I, I tell this to every writer I work with uh, it, my ideal, I'm more of a decompressed storyteller. Uh-huh. So it's, it doesn't always work out this way, especially when you're doing stuff for the big two. Um, but like uh, I usually like, Three to five, three to six panels per page is what I'm really comfortable with. That's what I'm most comfortable with, too. I feel like you can really make, you can say a lot in three to six panels. You can cover a lot of ground in three to six panels, but then it also gives the page enough room to breathe. Um, yeah. Whereas any any more than six panels, um, you start encroaching on that compression area. And sometimes it's appropriate, sometimes it's not. It just dep- Like I said, it just depends on the scene that you're dealing with. Have you ever read the uh, the, the Nausicaa manga? Yeah, with yeah. That? yeah. Just yeah, just looking at the uh, like the panels mm-hmm. per page. I think that's like eight, he does. He's like eight to yeah. twelve is his like yeah. average. He like crams so many <laughs> panels. He's on drawn a page. so much smaller though. Like I mean, like like exactly because you've got eight to twelve panels per page, and it's like everything is drawn smaller. But it's it's insane, man. Like I that's that that just boggles my mind. Just thinking about working like that. But he he'll have like a scene where it's like it's a tiny postage stamp, but it's it's like it's establishing a location, and you totally get the sense of the location and everything. But it's in the tiniest little like yeah. panel, you know. And I'm just like, how the heck is he able to pull that off? You well, know? Yeah, it it works like that. But then there's also like um, different you know different schools of thought or different philosophies on it. But like you know you know sometimes like the smaller the panel gets the larger the subject needs to be or the closer the subject needs to be right so mm, if you yeah. have like if you have like a you know thumbnail size or like like you said a postage stamp size panel then it needs to be you know whatever the subject is whether it's a character's face or if it's you know uh, you know a coffee cup or something needs to be closer so that you can make out what it is since the panel is so much smaller but you know, then yeah. then there's the opposite of that, of that as well. I mean, honestly, like none of this stuff is you know golden rules or anything. It's just honestly, they're just what it just boils down to just tools. I mean, what you just use yeah. what works for you and toss out what doesn't. But that experimentation is is like yeah. really, really interesting. I always say for me, the two hardest parts of of making a comic for me it's layouts and coloring. Yeah, and, and they're hard for totally different reasons. But like. Um, yeah, layouts are just like it's the most satisfying, but that's like the hardest problems you're figuring out exactly. is, is in the layouts. Yeah, absolutely, you know? absolutely. And and that's I always tell my wife like whenever I'm working on a college project where I have to do layouts, I'm like, okay, this is layouts. I'm doing layouts, so I, I need 
to concentrate. <laughs> if there's anything you need me to do, just tell me up front now so that I can do it, get it done, so that I can then yeah. I just need to go focus on the on these layouts. And she's that's, that's like she, the mute the music turns off when I do that. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. No, no, that's what yeah, exactly. And same here. Like like and she's super uh, supportive is what I was gonna say, but um but yeah, I can't really I, I can listen to music. I can't listen to any like I listen to a ton of podcasts or I'll usually have like a movie yeah. Uh, or, or like a DVD commentary playing in the background while I'm drawing or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but a ton of podcasts usually, but I can't listen to any of that stuff when I'm doing layouts. It has to be either, yeah, for sure. uh, it, either instrumental music or, or nothing. Or, I mean, or I can listen to like, uh, I have like this rain app that just has different kinds of rain <laughs> sound effects. I can just listen to the rain just droning on in the background while I, <laughs> while I draw. So, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. One thing that I think that's kind of an interesting side note is I, I think people don't realize how well informed artists can be about things sometimes because yeah. like as an artist, you spend hours and hours where you can do this task with uh-huh. one part of your brain and have like this other part of your brain. Like I've listened to so many podcasts. I've listened to, yeah. I just exhausted everything as an artist, you know, books on tape, podcasts, you right. really have a chance to like you know, read up on quite a bit of, of the world. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. I just recently started, uh, started listening to some more audiobooks. I, I, th- that was the other thing I listened to a lot of his audiobooks, but I just recently started the Jim Butcher series of like the Dresden files, the first book. Oh, I don't know. I'm, I'm not familiar, familiar with this. Uh-uh. Yeah. It's really good. It's really good. If you get a chance to check it out, it's good. It's like, okay. uh, um, it's like modern day, it, it, modern day fantasy, it's like urban fantasy, but like the main character is essentially this, uh, uh, grown up, uh, grown up wizard, and he—he—if you take the whole wizard fantasy thing, put it in a modern day context, and make the wizard kind of like a private investigator. Okay, pretty much got the Dresden Files. Dresden Files. Place. Yeah, it, it's really good. The books okay. are good. Uh, the show's okay. There's a show for it as well. Uh-huh. Uh, but you know, it's it was limited to its budget and things like that. But the the books are fantastic. I mean, at least the first one. I like I said, I listened to the first one, really enjoyed it, and uh, I think the voice actor who does it is. Uh, James Marsters, who played Spike on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Okay, uh, that'd be interesting. He's got a great, yeah, he's got a great voice for for the character as well. Um, but yeah, I, di- yeah. I digress. No, that's okay. I was I, I was the one that originally digressed, so it's, <laughs> it's all cool. Yeah, but yeah, for me, I I think when you get to like penciling and and inking, like that's just like pure joy for me. Oh, same here. Turn on music or whatever, and it's just like. You know, I could spend hours. I'm, I'm like bummed. I'm always kind of bummed when it's like, oh crap, I've ran out of stuff to, to yeah. like ink. Now I got to go back to doing the hard stuff again. Yeah, same here. Same here, man. I'm the exact same way. Like penciling, when I'm into the penciling, it's like, it's like uh, the analogy I like to use is like learning a piece of music on on a, on piano, for example. For example, and you're, you're you're learning the sheet, you're following the sheet music along, and you're clumsily making your your the sounds on the keyboard that don't sound quite sound like music yet. Yeah. Uh, and then eventually, once you start getting to the point where you're like, okay, I think I can follow the sheet music along, and it's like, okay, now I'm at the penciling stage. And then when you've played that thing enough to where you don't sound like a robot playing it. And you can just put the sheet music away or just barely glance up at it at the time and you can play the thing comfortably and with some feeling this time. Mm-hmm. That's that's when I feel like I'm at the inking stage. Like, okay, <laughs> I got this. I've, I've played this thing yeah. enough times. Like, yeah. How how uh, how tight of a penciler are you? It, I mean, if you're inking your own stuff. Yeah. I try not to I try not to get too tight with my pencils because I feel like when I do, it, 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 I end up with like a dead drawing. Um, it just kind of lies there dead on the page. Um, <laughs> where, whereas if I just kind of do more of like a, 
just kind of like a loose or rough drawing of, of what I want. What I really basically focus on in the penciling stage at this point in my life is um, I'm looking for structure. I'm looking for, um, mm. you know, if it's a particular, if it's a very specific character design, I just want to make sure that the characters are on model. Yeah, um, I'm horrible at that, but yeah, yeah. Good, good for you. And, it, <laughs> and then, and then any kind of like any kind of prop stuff, you know, if, if it's a gun sure, in yeah. the hand or if it's, uh, you know, a wand or whatever the character's using, uh, things like that. I feel like the penciling stage, I just use that penciling just to kind of make sure that everything has the right structure and shape and proportions and it's on model. Uh, beyond that, I don't sit there and, and do anything, any other details beyond that. Uh, and then I just basically just go in and I do the rest of the actual rendering and drawing in the inking stage, which is the most fun for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's when I just get to play and make, you know, imp- and, I, and I may or may not necessarily follow the pencil lines. Uh, yeah. you know, if I, if I feel like, okay, this, I want to go a different direction with it, I will. Um, and just, you know, sometimes you end up with happy accidents and sometimes you end up using some more, uh, you know, white gouache. You know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, I love I love the exploratory nature of yeah. of inking. Then I'm still figuring things out. And when you really get in that flow with inking, you know, yeah. it it definitely uh, it feels like someone else is is, is taking control. You know, <laughs> exactly. I mean, it's like it's almost kind of like you're um, uh, going back to that music analogy. It's like you know you study the music a little bit, but now like the sheet music's put away, and you're on stage and you're performing, and it's like this improvised jazz performance. Yeah, you're just kind of yeah, having totally. to go along with what's there. And you just kind of kind of stay on your toes and just go with it. Um, but I love I love working traditionally, and I love just what hap- just seeing what happens on the page. And and I learn I learn faster when whenever I do make mistakes. I feel like whereas whereas if I make mistakes digitally, it's like I don't quite remember them as well. Huh. Yeah, that's interesting. Maybe that's cool because because it's kind of like yeah, the control Z is so <laughs> so you know omnipresent. It becomes part of the process. You know. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. But I still, I still use like a ton of whiteout when I'm when I'm inking. You know, you kind of need to accept that to, yeah. to really yeah. have some Nothing have the life that. in that's your stuff. That's what it's there for, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Um, how, what is your? I'm kind of curious about um, one thing. I think a lot about, and that was a big hurdle for me to get over, is kind of figuring out um, like how I work most effectively. Like I'm a big procrastinator and I'm, it's really easy for me to like waste time. And so figuring out like what works for me as far as like, um, like duration, like how long do I want to be working on a specific problem? Uh, when do I want to switch to a different type of task? Um, so like example for, for me personally, uh, I'm going to work. Usually I want to do all of my, my the most difficult stuff in the morning. Like if I can get three or four hours done in the morning, then that's yeah. like, okay, that's like 90% of winning the day is doing that, you know? Yeah. And then I find like after lunch, it gets work. gets much harder. I can, I, this, the inking and penciling that was a joy before lunch, I can feel it starting to get harder and harder kind of as the, as the, the yeah. day and, you know, and, and there, there, there comes a point eventually where if I have the luxury to do so, I kind of say like, all right, I'm going to set this down, pick this up tomorrow. Yeah. Um, so I wonder how you work for like how you deal with that. If you kind of try to, there are there things that you try to push through or do you kind of set things aside and switch to something else? It, that's a good question. Honestly, like I'm still trying to figure that out myself. Like I, mm-hmm. I, I do, I do tend to sometimes procrastinate on stuff and I'm usually juggling more than one project as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm doing, if I'm doing like a comics project, I usually have either, you know, uh, another freelance thing that I'm doing 
uh, which which may or may not necessarily be comics related, uh, or it's you know I'm doing commissions or something like that. Um, so for me, it's like you know I'm still trying to figure out how to best manage my time. But you're absolutely right about the whole getting an early start thing. That that, that tends to make a huge difference for me as well. Mm-hmm. If I if I get if I get to the board, you know, early in the day, early in the morning, I mean, um, and I'm able to just keep focused and get the work done. Anything after lunch, I feel like time is like this super oily, slick thing that just slips <laughs> out of your hands. If you're not, if you're not watching it constantly, it oh, will yeah. slip away from you. Um, so that's, that's kind of, I'm, I'm the same way in that way. But, um, for me, like if I'm working, you know, let's say I've worked in the morning and then I've been, penciling and inking and now um it's getting to the point where and a lot of times uh i'm working usually in the evenings as well so like Mm -hmm. after after you know i'll stop around five or so uh have spent some time with the kids and my wife have dinner with the family put the kids to bed and then i'm usually back at the drawing board by around eight o'clock and i'll usually work you know a few hours uh, for a little for a little bit but at that point if i'm working in the evening and on, on a given page uh it, it kind of depends on the page. I will usually try to get a page a day done, and that's that's a page of pencils and inks a day. Yeah, um, yeah. That's my goal. It's like, okay, if I can knock out a page a day and that, of pencils and inks, I feel like I'm in a good place. That's that's a lot of work for, for the pages that you do. I mean, <laughs> that's a lot of work for the pages you do. I mean, Oh, I thanks, man. Yeah, of, they're yeah. long days. I mean, they, 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 man, they average between anywhere between like 10 to – 10 to 16 hours a day sometimes just depending on a, on a page and I have to break that up you know depending on family needs and things like that but um, but that's usually what I'm doing with when it comes to comics it's a lot of work that goes into it but um, but if but if I'm working on something let's say it's in the evening and I'm working on a, on a panel or a page that just requires a lot of my focus and attention and I'm already I'm already drained from earlier in the day I will probably slide that over the next day and maybe just you know work on some commissions or work on uh another freelance project or something just that doesn't quite require as much as much of my focus um yeah. things like that so it just it's kind of a balancing act but yeah i'm, I'm still figuring that out <laughs> yeah i've heard some people kind of say this thing where this is a, a magic trick i would like to learn which i haven't i haven't mastered yet but they actually they what's the word they can kind of take a break from art by doing other art <laughs> you know yeah do you yeah, find yeah. you're able to do that to be like i'm gonna put this other thing aside and just draw that and you're there's you're still making art which is which is great for yeah. a lot of reasons yeah um, Th- that's how the commissions are really yeah. yeah i mean the, the, the commissions are like that for me because i can yeah. kind of you know with the commissions it's like um it's almost kind of like autopilot right to just be like okay let me just put it on autopilot or cruise control and just draw this particular commission request I got, and I can, you know, take my mind off of whatever page I was working on or whatever other project, knock that out, and then when I come back to wherever I was, it's like, you know, I have a better new perspective on it, so I'm able to problem solve more clearly when I come back to it. Yeah, yeah. Now there's something very, um, very revitalizing about doing commissions. Just because it, it totally gets you way outside of like your your comfort zone, you know, <laughs> where it's like, oh, I gotta go draw something totally different than what I'm doing right now, and kind of figure that out, and yeah. And that's kind of the same way with like uh, with writing as well. Like I'll, I'll be like I was saying earlier, like I'm writing this graphic novel. Like I, I got to a place where I was kind of stuck on where to go for the next scene, 
And so I just took I took a couple of weeks and I just uh, wrote a short story, just a standalone short story for something mm-hmm. something else entirely that I will probably put, at at some point I'll adapt into a one shot comic book. But um, just just being able to get away and write something completely different for a change, and then come back after a couple of weeks and just be like, okay, that was fun. Now that I'm back, okay, I think I know where I want to go with this now. It's it's like your brain is still your brain is still percolating or still solving that problem in the in the back, even though you don't realize it while you're working on something else. Yeah. So, um, how does that all work then with, uh, kind of the balance of, of family life? Cause like your dad, obviously a husband too, you know, um, yeah. How do you, how do you kind of, uh, balance? I mean, obviously say you, you're going to go spend some time with the family and then it's back to work, right. you know? Sure. Again, that, that, that's still just a <laughs> learning process, man. Like that, that, that is the life of a freelance artist is, is, is a tough one, but it's, it's honestly like, it's, it's never boring. I'll put it that way. Um, mm-hmm. it, you know, my wife and I are, are you know, we're, she's, she's extremely supportive and, um, it honestly, none of it would be possible without her support and her, her patience and understanding of all this because it's constantly up and down. Uh, with the time schedules and things like that, and thankfully we both work from home, yeah. So that makes that makes things a little easier. And um, but for the most part, like we'll usually, you know, we'll have the family meetings and things like that, and just figure out, okay, this week this is what we have on the plate, and this is what we need to get done, and how are we going to balance these things that need to happen? You know, whether it's the kids' schedule or my wife's work or my work, things like that. So just you know, and and things you know, there's always there's always that you know the monkey wrench that gets thrown in, thrown in the schedule in the middle of the week. You're like, Oh no. Yeah. So you have to kind of, kind of be flexible and shift. It's, it's definitely, it can definitely be very stressful, but it, it's, and, and I think what helps get us through those stressful times is knowing that we have each other's backs. We have a really strong relationship in marriage and we're really supportive of each other. Um, and so that makes a huge difference. Uh, so yeah. Yeah, that's like that's like super important. I think it's it's really tough for and I don't I don't understand artists that are like kind of working on their own, you know, or or artists that kind of have to like you know, work against their spouses to try to try to like Yeah. You know. Absolutely. Like absolutely. I mean, I actually got more I've been more productive ever since I had kids than before. Hmm. I was less productive before I had kids, believe it or not. <laughs> uh, that sounds weird but like once i had kids it was like you know you know the crap hit the fan and i was like oh now i gotta get serious um <laughs> so it's like okay now is I that know. because like i gotta be a supporter now is yeah that, is exactly that exactly yeah exactly it's like you know and uh it was just like the thing where it's like okay now now we're you know we've got a like i remember when we were pregnant with my first son uh, I was like, okay, you know, baby's on the way and I've got to get my stuff together. If I want to do this, you know, regularly, then I've got to be productive and, and get my, you know, get serious about this. And not that I wasn't serious before, but like it wasn't showing up in my productivity, you know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. and so, and I'm still working on that and I'm still trying to get, be even more productive and try to, you know, like <laughs> we're talking about with time, I'm trying to, I'm trying to sure. utilize my time and manage my time as best as I can. It, it, it's slippery, man. Uh, yeah. but yeah, like, like knowing, knowing exactly how much time I had, like, because, you know, once the baby comes, once you got kids, you know what you're, you know, obviously kids do better with a routine and things like that. So you know what your routines are once you establish those and you know where you've got your little pockets of time to work. It's like, okay, those are my set times to work and I'm going to stick to those times and that's going to be solid 
time that I have to work. Sometimes it's interrupted, and you just have to roll with the punches when that happens. But uh, for the most part, like that actually got me more uh, disciplined than before we had kids where I could just draw at any time of the night. I'm like, oh, I'll just, you know, I don't really... Not not feeling inspired, or I'm, I don't have an yeah. idea, or I've got, or I've got writer's block, or I've got you know artist block. It's like, well, you know, when the when the bills are piling up and you got bills to pay, uh, you don't have time for artist block or, or any kind of creative block. You just kind of do the work and get it on, turned it on time so you can yeah. support the family. You know, that's interesting. Those that like you talk about the blocks that most people as artists, where you're like, yeah, I just I don't think I can do this right now. Most of those things, when you actually like kind of sit down and work through them. They usually they usually evaporate pretty quick, you know. They do. They really do. Right? Uh, I think a lot of times when it comes to that sort of stuff, it's just it's only because you just haven't. I feel like you haven't really given it enough thought. And, yeah. and a lot of times we think we've given it a lot of thought, but really, if you really sit down and look at it, okay, well, you know, what am I really trying to do here? What am I really trying to say? Or what is the best way to do this? You know, you start to kind of ask yourself those questions. Then you realize, oh, okay, I see what's going on here. I see what's wrong. And um, there's a really good book that I read uh, years ago, and I try to reread it from time to time because it's it, it applies to really any of the arts. Uh, but it's called Art and Fear. Oh, my brother recommended this to me a long time ago, and I've never read it. But sorry, it's go a, ahead. It's a, yeah. No, no, it's a great book. I, I I always recommend it to people when I when I remember it. Uh, but I highly recommend reading it. It's it's written by two photographers. But it's really it's it, it's not really about photography. It just talks about art in general and the whole creative process in general, and about how uh, art and fear, you know, play a role. You know how fear plays a role in art and 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 through the creative process. You know, some artists are um, afraid of you know, like I'll give you an example, and I'm paraphrasing because I'm probably you know uh, butchering what they're saying. But you just got to go read the book. But uh, an example of one of the things they talk about is like, okay, you know, some artists are afraid of creating because they feel like they are, it's not going to be good enough, you know, or it's yeah. not going to be this masterpiece. So they, they are slower at it. Uh, other artists, uh, feel so connected to the, the, the creative work that they do that they feel like that if they don't create the artwork, then, then they cease to exist, you know? Hmm. So they have to just constantly turn out art so that they, it's like, it's part of, the, of their identity. So they have to constantly, yeah. you know, and it's like, I oh, mean, that's, that's really interesting. It's fascinating to just get into that kind of psychology and look at, look into that. Um, but it, it's reassuring, it's really reassuring and it's uh, overall, it's a really positive outlook to it, to the whole process because it, it kind of encourages the artist, to, you know, regardless of what uh, artistic craft they're doing. Uh, one of the things I really learned from that book and not to beat myself up so much is like, okay, <laughs> it, it is, you know, when you look at your piece of artwork, you know, and, I, and uh, I'm I'm my own worst critic. Like, I, I absolutely detest most of the stuff I do. So, like, I probably really only like maybe ten to twenty percent of the stuff I do. And even then, I'm like, nah, it's it's okay, it'll pass. <laughs> uh, I'm I'm never I, I don't think I've ever looked at my my stuff and been like, that's that's beautiful. It's like, no, it's it's okay. Um, but for the for the rest of it, I always I always like it's trash. I, it could be better. It's horrible. Oh, that's too that's too bad, man. Because you're you're missing out on enjoying a lot of cool <laughs> stuff, dude. I'm trying. I'm really trying to. I'm trying <laughs> to enjoy it. But I feel like that's what kind of makes me better and keeps me growing. So I try not to sure. try not to like my own stuff too much. But um, the the one thing the one thing I, I did learn from that book that I really enjoyed and I still remember is the fact that when you when you create something or you know, if you can recognize that there's something wrong. Even if you don't know what the problem is with it, you should just be happy with the fact that you do see something wrong with it. Because not every creative sure. a creator is able to recognize something wrong with the piece that they've done. You know, 
Um, you know, let's say you do, you know, a landscape and you're like, something's not right with this. I don't know what the problem is, but something's not right. Okay. Well, just, just relish in the fact that you were able to spot that something's wrong, you know? Yeah. And just let that sit, sit with you for a moment. And, and you don't need to figure it out right away, but just, just let that sit, let that percolate, maybe move on to something else. Maybe just walk away from the painting or drawing or whatever it is you're doing. Uh, you might be writing a song or a piece of music and you're like, it's not sounding right. Whatever it is you're doing, walk away, take a break, work on something else. And it's like we were saying earlier, you know, when you come back to it, your mind is still working out the problem. You'll come back to it and be like, okay, something's wrong. I don't know what it is. And then you'll eventually start asking yourself questions and going over some fundamental stuff. And you're like, oh, okay, I see what's going on here. And my vanishing point is here, but everything else is going there. <laughs> you know, it's, you know, little things like that. And it's usually, you know, like you said, it kind of starts to evaporate once you start kind of focusing on that stuff. I, I think this is like this principle you're talking about is is really like a subtle principle to kind of learn to get to, to figure out. Yeah. Because it's like there's it's really this like awareness. And sometimes yeah. it's like I'll come back to a piece later and I'll be like once I come back to it later, I'll realize, oh, yeah. I remember that I could sense that there was something wrong here. But I like mm-hmm. some level I wasn't even aware of that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And then you come back later and you're like, oh yeah, that, that was going on. And I think that's a really good thing for, for aspiring artists to, to work on is like paying attention to that kind of feeling of something's not right. Exactly. You know? Exactly. Um, and Cause it can yeah, be very, very subtle you yeah. know? and it can pass you by if you're not paying attention. Absolutely. Absolutely. And yeah. And, that, and that's, the, that's the kind of thing that like, anyway, so that's the kind of stuff they talk about in that book and, um, and, and more I even to get that. to, yeah, it's, yeah. it's really good. I, I highly recommend it. Um, especially to anyone who's starting out or anybody who seems timid about, you know, jumping in with both feet into something. I'm like, just read this book. It'll get you pumped up and make you make you want to just dive in and do the thing that you want to do. Yeah. These are, these are like kind of the soft skills of, I don't know if you call them soft skills, but, but of, of making art that are actually people way underestimate the return on them. I think when people are, are thinking about developing their skills that they are like thinking very much about, okay, I need to learn perspective and, and, you know, right. structure and, and all that stuff, which is, yeah. is super important. But these little skills of like recognizing when something can be better or right. also kind of understanding these, whatever, um, you know, Steven Pressfeld's going to call it resistance. You know, you sure. can call them hindrances, Re- like recognizing these blockers and learning how to like all your ninja moves to deal with the things that are keeping you from making art and right. kind of developing like a little toolkit. Yeah of ways that you can respond to whatever it is that's kind of like telling you like, Oh, you haven't figured this out yet. Oh, I'm, I'm not motivated today. I'm not feeling great. Like all these little things that keep you from sitting, sitting down and, and creating like there's a huge return. If you can kind of figure out some of those little, little intangible ethereal skills that you wouldn't actually think of as art skills, you know? Absolutely. And, and, and like, I think you nailed me to the theory because they're not visible. You know, you can't, they're not skills that yeah. you can see. Um, they're just skills that you just develop. I mean, you can, they're ethereal or invisible or whatever, however you want to word it. But, uh, yeah. And it's, it's, it's those things that you learn just over time. You know, sometimes, you know, sometimes I think a lot of people learn this stuff, uh, instinctually. They may not necessarily be able to put it in the words, but like eventually you do it enough times and you realize, okay, I think I know the process. And, it, and it's that whole, um, I don't know, for lack of a better phrase, the whole self-discovery uh, within, within the craft, within the creativity, right? Um, you know, what works for you, you know, what tools you have and how to use them, but you're always looking to also grow and and, and push yourself. Uh, and I think once you kind of get to a point where you, 
you're, when you're at that point where you're like, okay, uh, obviously I'm not at that master level yet, but I am comfortable with what I do. I know the tools that I have. I know how they respond when I, when I push them one way and push them in another way. Um, and, and I know what to do when I get stuck. I think it's a really good place to be. And yeah. it's, a, it's a good plateau to reach to just continue to go up from. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like, you know, there's multiple plateaus that are similar to that. You know, you just climb up to the next one and you're just like, okay. Uh, so yeah, that's kind of where I'm at right now. Like, it's like, I, I feel like I'm at a place where it's like, okay, you know, I know what I want to work on. I know what I want to push. Like, uh, I'll give you an example. Like right now, uh, artistically, what I'm trying to work on is getting looser and getting faster. Hmm. And so I'm trying to implement little things in the way I draw, in the way I, uh, the tools that I use, uh, use use more brush where I can, uh, and uh, make it you know, not not be so tight with my line work and things like that. Um, I, I because to me personally, I just feel like the, the looser I am, the more life is in that drawing. Uh, where if I'm like painstakingly going, sure. making those really careful lines, those fragile yeah. china doll wines it just it kind of just <laughs> deadens the image and just loses all of life <laughs> do, you, do you think very much about like uh as you're thinking about this are you thinking very much about like um simplicity of design like what's the, what's the most simple design you know that yeah, i can do I mean, like, that that process happens earlier on when i'm like developing a project mm. or, or sure. like a lot of times you don't get that that sure. opportunity like if i'm doing something for another publisher, um, you, you don't always get that time and or opportunity to just redesign a character. Um, not like you did back in the eighties and nineties when, you know, you got a new artist sure, on the yeah. book <laughs> and they could just completely redesign the change character. Constantly. Yeah. Yeah. Change costumes constantly. And like now, now they're not, not up for that as much. Got um, very rigid style guys. Yeah, yeah. That. And also they're like, they're more, they're more, uh, in, in tune with like continuity in the story and things like that, which is, you know, which is cool for, and I don't know from like a reader's point of view, it's nice to have that continuity. Um, but so anyway, so like, so whenever I do get the opportunity or when I have the time, uh, that's the kind of stuff I think about when I'm designing the characters are just, okay, how can I come up with a design and shape and proportions that work, that clearly tell who this character is when you just immediately look at them, but then also, uh, uh, you know, differentiate them from all the other cast of characters. And then also on a, on a time schedule, don't take me forever to just construct this character in every panel, you know? So yeah. that's kind of the balance I'm trying to find when I do that. Do you, have you, have you read very much uh, Christoph Blaine? Do you, do you know his work at all? I think I do. I, you know, I'm not sure if it's the guy I'm thinking about when you say Christoph Blaine. Um, is he the one that did the Gus and his guns? Yes. Yes. yes I, I love that guy stuff. Yeah. 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 Yeah, when you talk about like fluidity and looseness, he's also just a brilliant layout artist and all that stuff. But he's he's one of these guys where I'm just like, oh, he gets the kind of simplicity and the flow of storytelling. But yeah, very very true to the uh, traditional style of like uh, you know European cartooning and things like that, like French stuff. It's very cool stuff. Um, yeah, but I don't know if he colors his own stuff or not. But whoever colored the Gus and his guns did a brilliant job. Um, oh, yeah. of using color to 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 uh, describe like character emotions and things like that, where you had there's a scene where one of the one of the cowboys in the book is like he sees this beautiful woman get off a train 
and he's mm-hmm. following her through this crowded, uh, you know, uh, train. Oh, yeah, I remember this. Remember the scene? He's trying to follow her because he's trying, he's trying to like track down this beautiful woman that he saw. But everywhere he goes, there's like somebody blocking him. And eventually there's like this giant like mountain of a man that's like blocking his view <laughs> to see where this woman is going. And he's like progressively, his skin color is like going progressively from like the, the, the normal skin color to like this beet, like blood red skin color. <laughs> to the point where like the entire, I think if I remember correctly, the panel is entirely red. Where he's, all he's oh, saying is so red, cool. and then he ends up like <laughs> in his mind, like it, it cuts to it cuts to a moment in his mind where he's just like with both guns drawn, is just shooting down this mountain of a guy <laughs> just, to, just to get him out of the way. <laughs> it's it's, just, it's that, that cartoony, yeah, it's great. Yeah, color color I think sometimes gets overlooked. Sometimes where you're just oh, like, this is this, this is this color, this is this color, and like, oh, the progression of color through a story can be so oh. interesting. Oh, and absolutely, so cool. and I feel like you can get more. There's not enough experimentation with color in, in comics. I think in general, like at least in American comics, I'll just put it that way. Uh, you see more of it in, yeah. in indie indie comics, but as far as like the the bigger publishers, um, you're not seeing. I'm not seeing as much of that as I would like to see in, in there. Um, yeah. And, you know, you can argue that, you know, obviously that stuff tends to lean a little bit more closer to, like, realism. And so mm-hmm. the abstract coloring may not apply to it. But, you know, you can argue either side of it. But There's there's something to be said for having, like, some subtle stylization sure. to, to even something that's that's real realistic. But, yeah, yeah I definitely am more – I I like the, the stuff that's a little bit more I – I wouldn't say surreal, but – that can have that subjective quality to it. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. That's where comic gets fun for me. I don't yeah, know. Yeah. Same here. And I mean, honestly, like the whole comics genre in itself, or like the medium, it's not even a genre. It's more of a medium. Um, is you can do, there's no budget, right? You can do anything you want. Yeah. You can tell any kind of story you want and set it anywhere. As long as you're able to draw it, the only limitation is your imagination, right? So mm-hmm. you can set a story in this completely made up world of yours, you know, uh, with all kinds of made-up characters, creatures, monsters, whatever you want to do, and you're not limited by, like, say, you know, in, in the live-action world by a budget and producers and everybody else involved yeah. and whether or not we can do these visual effects or not. It's like none of that None of that is going to limit you. You're just completely unlimited in comics, uh, which is why I love working in that medium so much. You know, and even, even in, a, even in like, big-budget budget stuff, it's like you see 12 different um, FX houses, you know, going towards building something. And yeah. I, I sometimes feel like they really, there's kind of something that feels kind of homogenous about the visual style sure. of a lot of those places. And it just, it's, I think it's kind of due to the fact that, that there's such a broad collection of, of, of artists working on something. And just to see like a singular voice in a comic where it's like just everything has some sort of cohesion, yeah. you know? Yeah. It's, it's where you get that, uh, Autourship or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, well, Sam, I'm really excited to see what happens uh, with this next book that you're pitching. Are you? So you are you not at the point where you're pitching it yet? Or are you? No, or not you yet, man. Still... It's, it's still pretty, okay. pretty early on. Uh, like I'm, okay. like I said, I'm still writing the the first draft of the graphic novel. It, it's all okay. It's all still. I mean, it's the the artwork is all pretty much tidied up there's a few other things that i need to draw for the pitch but um it, it, i'm just going to be do, doing a lot of writing for a little while until this thing is in uh, good shape to get it out there well cool well i'm going to be like super stoked to see that when it comes out you know i love seeing kind of an, an artist's voice you know given it given its full full volume whatever you call it so um 
Well, anyway, Sam, thanks for uh, hanging out with me for a bit uh, today and, and chatting. Uh, I'm going to let you get back to your family since I know your your time is definitely limited now that you've explained to me. <laughs> well, thanks for having me. It was fun. So cool. Let's do it again sometime, man. Definitely. You've been listening to How to Be an Artist. To support this podcast, you can go to patreon.com forward slash H2BNA.